of Revelation as we are continuing to, to uh, traverse our way down through chapter 11 of this glorious, glorious book. And I'm so blessed to have it in our hands this evening. And so let us read together this evening Revelation chapter 11, verses 11 through 17, and then we'll, uh, we'll take up the Word of God together here this evening. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended, and, and they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And that's really an important statement that uh, the spirit of God leads John to write there. Verse 13, In the same hour there was, was there a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. And the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to God, to the God of heaven. It's amazing. There's, God's remnant is always there. Amen. There's always God's remnant that he is saving. And so we see that even here. Verse 14. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The thing we're praying about. Amen. The Lord's presence as he's going to reign Upon the earth, and the four and twenty four elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks, uh, we give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and which wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and has reigned. Well, brethren, last week as we were studying this together, we remember that there was a great party that was being thrown because God's Witnesses had been slain and they were laying in the street. Well, as we kind of closed last week, we said the, the party's going to come to a quick end and the superfluity of joy and uh, the rejoicing, the parting in the streets by those who hated God's preachers is suddenly tonight, as we're going to see in our text, miraculously and suddenly uh, brought to a halt in the same street by God himself. And this, again, is going to show us the glorious, uh, if you will, omnipotent hand of God as he is working out his glorious plan. Now, God waits, the Bible says in our text tonight, for three and a half days. Why would God wait for three and a half days for these men to lay in the street for all the world to see? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, God wanted to make sure, brethren, that these men who were slain by the, by the beast himself as they laid, that they were dead, amen, so that when he raises them down in our text tonight, they will see that it is God himself who indeed raises these men from the dead, amen. There is no question in their mind as these partiers and revelers are there watching and seeing this take place. The Bible says that he breathes, God himself breathed the breath of life back into them, and they immediately stand up on their feet right in front of the stunned if you will, and uh, now fear-filled revelers. Again, as I said, the party comes to an end. Not only does God resurrect them, brethren, but we see there in our text, in their plain sight of their enemies, the Bible says that in verse 13, in plain sight of his enemies, he what? He calls them up hither, and he, uh, if you will, uh, calls them up to heaven, thereby sealing their last testimony to the we are the world. Remember that song? Remember, Howard, we were growing up. Remember that song? You know, we are the world. And, they were, you know, the whole world's coming together. We are like we're, like we're something great. We are the world. Well, God is bringing that party, amen, to a complete and sudden halt. And it's quite an amazing thing, again, as we see God's um, doing these things. In fact, this last thing that God does here, this testimony that 
these witnesses are giving before the world has such an impact, a glorious impact later on in the text. As we see again, there's a remnant, amen? There's people watching, but there's a remnant there that God is going to be saving through their preaching and through their testimonies. And so they ascended here. God raises them and he brings them up, calls them hither up into heaven. In fact, there are some similarities here. Uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 1. Let's just turn there. Look, he's raising them, bringing them up on the clouds, the Bible says, amen. And so it's interesting when you do a study of those who were resurrected and ascended up in the clouds. It's quite an amazing thing when you think about that. And we see that here again literally in our text. Look at Acts chapter 1 again, just the, this, the similarities that we see here. One of them concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The other, of course, concerning those who are his, the church. Amen. We're going to look at that. Look at Acts chapter 1, if you would. Look at verse number 9. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to us this evening. The Lord Jesus Christ, his ascension is very much, uh, as one pastor put it, the cloud of transportation is quite an amazing thing in Scripture as you study that out. But we see that here in Acts chapter 1. Look at verse number 9. Look what the Bible says there. And we had spoken these things while they beheld. He was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand here you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which was taken up from you into heaven shall come in what? In like manner as you have seen him go. And so again, we know what's going to happen. When the Lord comes, he's going to come on what? He's coming on the clouds. But he was taken up here, just like we see these witnesses in the book of Revelation. Now, look at First Thessalonians. Again, this idea of being transported, ascended uh, up, being called up, being caught up, being, if you will, translated up. The Lord Jesus here, now look at his people, the church. Look at here at First Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, a very familiar portion of scripture to all of us this evening. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Look there if you would. I got to get there. My pages are sticking together again this evening. Look at verse, if you will, number 15. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse number 15. Look what the Bible says there. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we, and again Paul is speaking in the present tense there, we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the what? Clouds. There it is again. Amen. So we see this constant thing of the Lord as he's saving his people, as he's going to again save this remnant. He takes his witnesses up in the cloud, just like Jesus left, just like the church is going to leave uh, before, I believe, the great tribulation. We see this here. The ministry that was given to these two witnesses by God himself manifested both the power of God, amen, and God's saving grace. Again, we see this throughout all of Scripture again, don't we? We see the power of God as he raised them from the dead and the promises of God and that he promises that those who believe in him, those who have trusted in him, those who they are what? Will be sealed and protected and guarded upon all of their eternity. It's an amazing thing. And so we see those two really things that are presented there in those witnesses. Now, again, back here in Revelation, those two witnesses, they're called up to heaven. They're caught up, if you will. They're raptured up out of there in the clouds, and then we see this taking place. Look at uh, verse, chapter 11 again. Look at verse 13 again. The testimony 
of these witnesses has an effect upon those who are seeing this. And so look back there again at Revelation chapter 11 and look at verse number 13. Look at the remnant. And again, brethren, this is really quite an amazing, stunning thing when you consider this. Look at verse number 13. The Bible says, In that same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell, and the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. Again, we see this glorious thing here. When uh, This really, brethren, is, is quite an amazing thing. This very same hour that God translates his witnesses up to heaven in the clouds, an earthquake immediately, in fact, the Bible says here, a great earthquake descends upon the city of Jerusalem which is quite an amazing thing. We ask, well, how do we know it's a city of Jerusalem, a literal city? See, again, brethren, as you look at this text, now I know there's some brothers who hold to some more spiritual things in this, if you will. I take it literally, amen, because I do believe that he is still dealing. It's so Jewish that he's still dealing with the Jewish people. But there are brothers who are good brothers who look at this from a more spiritual sense. I don't. I look at it from a literal thing. I just think the scripture is very clear and very plain. I believe it's a literal city because of verse number 8. Look at verse number 8. Look what it says there. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. Who's the great city? Well, it's Jerusalem. It's a literal city. Amen. And look what it says, which spiritually we looked at it. It's called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Again, where was our Lord crucified? In Jerusalem, right? In the city of Jerusalem. And so I believe it is a literal city, a literal place. But the Lord there, as he, we see in our text, I believe God is judging that city. Just like he's going to send his judgment upon the world, just like he's judging us for what we're doing. We've turned away. We literally are, just as Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, we could literally place ourselves in that, if you will, in that, in that context, if you will. He's judging a city. He's judging a people who have denied him and denied the Lord Jesus Christ. They have rejected him, and they're still rejecting him, even now in our text. When the remnant sees this, when he sees this, it's an amazing thing. The city crumbles and to the ground, and 7,000 souls are required. 7,000, the Bible says literally 7,000 men died. 7,000 people died. 7,000 souls were, uh, if you will, required for what was taking place. And when they see this, the Bible says that the remnant was affrighted. Which, brethren, as you look at Scripture, <laughs> it's an amazing thing, again, brethren, to tie Scripture together. They were affrighted. They gave glory to the God of heaven, which are two reactions that are typically found in Scripture when the glorious power of God is manifested. Do you realize that? Over and over and over again in Scripture, some things happen. One great fear comes. We, we always talk about this, don't we? People who lightly look at Scripture, people who lightly have a light high view of God, His holiness, His power, amen? They're, God is always what? God's always their buddy. God's always their friend. They're always sitting around talking together, and they're having lunch together, and they're having coffee together. I mean, this, these people are insane. I mean, we've got the crazies again coming out. I mean, the latest crazy NAR guy, right? I mean, they're all a bunch of nutties, but, you know, Jesse Duplantis, he's been to heaven again now for the last month and a half, and he's talking to God. He's just simply talking to God. I mean, these people are insane, because when you look in Scripture, there's always two reactions that take place when the remnant of God sees his glory manifested. One of them is fear. 
Always, always, every single time. Never once. Are they buddy-buddy? God is too holy, brother. Do you understand this? God is too holy, amen, for flesh to even begin to end. Jesse to plant us in heaven is like spreading dung across the, the Lord's kingdom in heaven. It's just a stunningly unholy, stinky, smelly, gross thing to think about. But you see this. It's an amazing thing. Look with me, if you would, at this reaction when the supernatural manifestations of God are manifested in a remnant, those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, those who believe God. Look at Matthew 27, just a couple of them this evening, brother. We'll see, first of all, that fear was always a first reaction. Look at Matthew chapter 27, a fear, <laughs> again, now, brother, it's not like the Lord Jesus here, did something spooky and scary here. He did not. He simply did a miracle. And the disciples are going, whoa, who is this man that even the winds and the seas obey him? And the Bible says that great fear, exceeding fear, gripped them. Look here at Matthew chapter 27. Look at verse number 50. This particular scripture, we're at the foot of the cross. Brethren, during the crucifixion, we're standing at the foot of the cross. The Lord Jesus is dying for the sins of his people. The wrath of God has been poured out upon him, and this takes place. Look here, Matthew chapter 27. Look at verse number 50. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. What a glorious statement that is. And came out of the graves after his resurrection. That's really important, isn't it? And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. The holy city, of course, is Jerusalem. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they what? They, what, they, they ran up to grab Jesus and say, what a buddy he is. No, the Bible says that when they saw these things, they... Feared exceedingly. I mean, this is the Lord dying on the cross. He's dying for the sins of his people. He didn't even do anything that would make them fear. And all they can do is look at God and go, truly, look at what it says. They said, watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this is the Son of God. They realized this glorious thing that God has done. They see the earthquake Later on, they see the resurrection of the 500 brothers who went into the city of Jerusalem. It's really quite an amazing thing. But fear is the first thing that comes to them. It isn't joy. It isn't all of these things. Look here at Mark chapter 4. Again, we see it at the foot of the cross. We see it here when Jesus was walking upon the earth, just being God, being God in the flesh. He who tells the wind to be still, and it's still. He who calls what? Men from the grave? He calls them up. He's doing these glorious things, these glorious manifestations of the power of God. And his own people, as they're watching and wondering and thinking about the things that he's doing, this is their reaction to it. Look at Mark chapter 4. Look at verse number 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when, they had sent, uh, when, and when they had sent away the multitude, 
They took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep. And brethren, we know what the heretics say about this verse. You know what they say about Christ. Crefold, all of them. He could have never been God because, you know, isn't this what the, the psalmist wrote, that God neither sleeps nor slumbers? So Jesus couldn't have. I mean, it's insanity. It's sheer insanity. But here he is sleeping, the Bible says, in the hinder part of the sheep, ship on a pillow. And they awake and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Now, brothers, think of this. He's actually saving them. God himself wakes up and they're fearful uh, of what the seas are doing. And look at their reaction to him calming the sea and said unto the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Verse 41, And they feared exceedingly. They feared exceedingly because they saw the glorious manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ, of God himself simply speaking to nature. He who created it, by the way, can control it any way he wishes. But he stands and just speaks with authority and says, Be calm, be still. And what was the disciples' reaction? They feared exceedingly and said this, What kind of man is this? Who is this? God himself walking in the flesh. Now, so we see in the scriptures, right? Fear was something that accompanied the great manifestations of God. But not only that, brethren, and we need to look at this other side of it, those who saw it, those who were called, those who were saved, gave glory to God. When they'd see it, there was fear, and yet they glorified God. Look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter 17. Again, a very familiar portion of Scripture. The Lord Jesus doing a glorious work. Leprosy, brother, was not healed in the Old Testament, only by God himself. You realize this. There was a process that they would go through. They had to be obedient. They had to kill the turtle dove. They had to sprinkle it a certain way. When leprosy was spoken of, brethren, everybody scattered. Everybody did. They were, had their own colonies. That's why we call them leper colonies because they had to stay outside of the city. They had to stay out of the camp. And then if they did come near, they'd have to cover their lip and say what? Unclean, unclean. And people would scatter because... Once you had leprosy, it's in the blood. It doesn't get healed by itself. It has to be healed miraculously, just as God does here. But I want you to see their reaction. That which only God could heal, these, this one man realizes, and look what he does. Look here at Luke chapter 17. Look at verse number 11. Starting in verse number 11, look there again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to us. The Bible says, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, and he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, brethren, think of this for a moment. At his word, he simply spoke it. Go and do as I tell you, and they were healed immediately. Now, brethren, think of this for a moment. <laughs> when he did this, I want you to see their reaction to the healing, this miraculous thing that Jesus did. Look what it says there. 
And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice, what? Glorified God. This is what happens when men see the manifestation of God working. There's fear, but then the one who is fearful is also what? The one who glorifies God. The other nine were nowhere to be found. This man whom Jesus healed, he recognized in him who he was. And the Bible says that he glorified God for what God had done. This is what we see. In fact, it's even more glorious. It continues. This, of course, is before the church age. But look at Acts chapter 13. Look at Acts chapter... It glows right on into the church age. Right to Acts chapter 13, a glorious passage of Scripture. Again, that we are all very familiar with. But again... I want you to see their reaction when they understand what God has done. Look there at verse number 46. The Bible says, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn unto the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee a light. And pigeons flew over and dropped a note in your lap. You know, ten weeks Two years after it happened, it's instantaneous. Instant. You can sit on your phone and know what's going on in every corner of the world. And this is what we see. Remember what he said. His enemies, the nations, the peoples, the tongues, all of them are going to see this glorious work of God. But then God says this, and he sends them a warning. <laughs> He sends on to them these words. Look at Revelation 11. Look at verses 14 and 15. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign, what? Forever and ever. Now, it's interesting, brethren, as we leave now, you remember the parentheses that's been around the text. We've been in, from chapter 10 on until we've gotten here. There's been a stoppage, if you will, in the chronology of things. And now here, this chronology now, again, in the book of Revelation, picks up again here in our text. It's quite an amazing thing as we look at that. He says, and he's led by the Spirit of God to tell them that the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. In other words... <laughs> For those of you who are not the remnant, those of you who are not being saved, there's many horrors to come. <laughs> there's many, many, many horrors and judgments to come upon you that who are still upon the earth. It's an amazing thing. The seventh trumpet is the last in this series of seven, which as we know as we look at the scriptures, it's something that covers an extended period of time. Thus, brethren, it's important for us to distinguish tonight Right? It distinguishes it from the instantaneous in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump. You realize that throughout the book of Revelation, it's never called the last trump. This seventh is not the last trump. It is something distinct and different from that which we see in 1 Corinthians. Let's turn and look there quickly. Amen? This seventh trumpet is nothing going to do nothing but bring more of judgment of God. Look at 1 Corinthians here, it is specifically spoken, if you will, called the last trump. It is distinguished. This seventh trumpet is not the last trumpet. There is still one 
to be blown. First Corinthians here, if you would. This is more, if you look at Joel chapter 2, you'll see there a blowing of the trumpet in Joel chapter 2, which brings judgment and brings a continuation of God's judgment. This is not 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is a glorious last trumpet that will call. Amen. And what's going to happen, Brother Howard? He knows what happens to the last trumpet of God, and all of us do, right? We are what? We are raptured. We are taken out when the last trump is blown. And 1 Corinthians is all about that. Chapter 15, look there if you would, as we look at carefully at the verbiage that's used here, brethren. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse number 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the what? At the last trump. Instantaneous change. When he comes, there's going to be this glorious rapturing of the Christians. It's an amazing thing, and we're all going to be changed, brothers and sisters, at the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. This is not the last trump in Revelation, in our text tonight. It is far from that. In fact, again, it is a period thing that keeps going on. Look at what it says there, verse 52. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this moral must put on immorality, or immortality, excuse me, get that word right. But this is what happens at the last trump. When the last trump is sounded, this glorious change takes place, the last trump. Instead of calling here this trumpet that we're looking at as we engage and continue on in our text, instead of calling for the moment of the rapture of the church, as the last trump does, the seventh trumpet calls for a prolonged waves of judgment on the ungodly. It's an amazing thing as it continues on. It proclaims the coming coronation also. This is the glorious thing, and we'll close with this tonight. Of, earth, of the earth's rightful king, and it is the answer to the prayer of the ages. When we look at our text there and we see our text that the kingdoms will now become what? The Lord's kingdoms, amen? That this is the prayer, many prayers and prayers of the ages. In fact, we find this in Matthew chapter 6. Look with me, if you would, there for just a moment. Again, Matthew chapter 6. This is the answer to the prayer of the ages. Brother, and I have... Somebody I know who's very near and dear to me who is not saved. And you know what he can't wait for? Amazingly and stunningly enough, he cannot wait for the Lord Jesus to rule here on the earth. Isn't that an amazing thing? Think of that, brothers, for a moment. He's lost. He hates the evil. He hates what he sees. And he knows that when Jesus comes, he's going to be the ruler and the king of kings when he establishes his glorious kingdom. It's a stunning thing to behold. But again, this is something, brethren, that we, Jesus himself, in this glorious prayer, again, a familiar portion of Scripture to us all, look at Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse number 9 as I turn there. Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse number 9. Look what the Lord Jesus says. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So again, we start with a proper uh, address of God. May your name be hallowed. May you be glorified. May you be honored. Look at the second portion of there. Thy kingdom what? Come. Look what it says. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on, in earth as it is in heaven. 
Now again, brethren, as we see, as we're looking at this text, when the, the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of God and of His Christ, He will be ruling. The kingdom will be uh, ordered as He orders it. Amen? It's an amazing thing. And so again, this is something that even we've been looking for. This lost person that I know is waiting for the Lord Jesus to rule in His kingdom on the earth to stop this unholy evil that's taking place. Look at Psalm 72. This is something, again, brethren, that all of us should be praying for and waiting for this glorious kingdom that is to come. And believe you me, when God is done with his enemies, it's going to be a glorious and amazing thing. Look at Psalm 72. There's many of them that speak of this kingdom. Now, brethren, again, we have brothers who think it's a spiritual thing. They think it, that it's something that's not literal and physical. It's, these texts are not talking at all about any kind of spiritual kingdom. It is the literal kingdom of Christ that he's going to be ruling upon the earth. Look at Psalm 72. Look at verse number 7, just a couple of them this evening as we close with this joyous, glorious news to those of us who are believers. Look at verse number 7. Look what the Bible says there. In his days shall the righteous flourish, the abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth. See that? Brethren, there has not been an abundance of peace as long as the moon endureth, ever. Never. Not once. From the time that Adam and Eve sinned, all the way through Noah, all the way to the cross, all the way after the cross, brethren, there's always been evil that has reigned upon the earth. Not when he's reigning, not when he rules with an iron fist, not when his kingdom is placed in his order. That will be gone. He will be ordering it as he sees fit. Look at how that text continues. Again, this is messianic. Now, brethren, is there a spiritual kingdom? <laughs> yeah. If you're a part of the church, amen, if you're saved this evening, you're part of the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom, the church, which is indeed in heaven. But that's not what the book of Revelation is talking about. It's talking about a literal, physical kingdom and so are these texts look here if you would as that verse continues he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from river unto the ends of the earth and they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him and his enemies shall lick the dust the kings of tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents the kings of sheba and sheba shall offer gifts yea all kings shall fall down before him all nations shall what shall serve him again brethren this is an amazing portion of Scripture. Look at Daniel chapter 7. Again, Daniel speaks of it. Again, this is just a couple of them here this evening. And again, it's always context, context, context. Look at Daniel chapter 7. Look at verse 13. Again, as we see this. And I saw in a night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. <laughs> Amen. What's that speaking of, brethren? course it's his second coming when he comes to establish his kingdom this of course is daniel telling us this trions and ages before it even happens look what it says and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory in a kingdom that all people nations and languages should serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. 
It's an amazing thing to see this, brother, to see the Lord Jesus Christ's kingdom. And again, this is referenced, isn't it, brethren, in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 12, he strikes down Satan. He takes back, amen, his kingdom, the world, the earth. That's what rightly belongs to him, which was not necessarily stolen, but given to him. And the Lord God is going to clearly recover that. Look at Revelation 19. Again, in the book of Revelation, this kingdom that's going to be established and a ruler who will rule there with an iron fist. Look at here. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says, and I saw... Oh, I'm in 20. Hold on. Revelation, or Revelation 19. Look at verse number 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. His head was, uh, were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses and clothed in fine linen and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and that with it he should smite the nations, that he should rule them with a what? A rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress and the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So again, what is this, brothers? This is Christ's coming. This is his second coming. This is him arriving to rule as the king of kings and the lord of lords in the kingdom, in the millennial kingdom that shows up where? In chapter 20, the literal kingdom that he sets up. This is what it's about. It's about God establishing his kingdom. It's about God drawing out for himself a people unto himself, even during this amazing time of Jacob's trouble, this time in which we know as the great tribulation. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven, sweeps through chapters 12 through 22. This is his glorious plan. This is what he's going to do. As God finishes his mighty work, reclaiming and, re, and if you will, re-bringing to life, amen, as he usurps Satan who he allowed to do what he's going to do. In fact, as we close tonight in verses 16 and 17, look there in chapter 11, John reaffirms that this is indeed God's plan. This is indeed what he will do in Revelation chapter. Look at verses 16 and 17 there. Look at what happens. And the four and 24 elders, he's going to reign forever. And the four and 24 elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and which was and art to come. What's he doing? He's addressing the eternality of God. He's saying, You've always been. Your eternal God, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast what? Reigned. So again, as God is unfolding his glorious plan, as he is working through the book of Revelation, as he's bringing forth that which he has ordained to take place, we again, I understand, there's different views. There's brothers that have spiritual view. There's brothers like me that have a literal view and believe literally that this is going to be taking place. As we see it unfold, to me it's a glorious thing. As we look around us, amen, and we see what's happening. We see what's happening in the world. I mean, just take a look. Again, brethren, I don't know how preterists, I don't know how post-millennialists, I don't know how they do it. How they sit and look and see what's happened and what's happening, amen. That 
this all took place in 70 AD, that's just incredibly impossible. And that the world's going to get better and better and better so that Christ can come in. <laughs> Brother, I don't want to sound unkind, but man, your heart is in a bad place if you believe that. The heart is what? Desperately wicked. It's not going to change, brothers. We're not going to change it. Only God will change it. Christ will change it. His kingdom will be brought in at his dictate as he sees gloriously fit to do it. Amen? So it is a glorious thing to trust tonight in what God's word says. To believe in God, to, to trust in him that yes, He what he says is going to come to pass as he says it's going to come to pass. And again, I'm not as dogmatic as I'd like to be. <laughs> because again, I know there's brothers who are good brothers who hold a little different view concerning this. So let's pray together this evening as we finish. Father, we thank you again for your word. And tonight as we have looked at and studied and as we've prayed together, realizing and knowing that all of these things, speaking of the president of Brazil, let's see, you know, I hadn't heard that. You placed him there against all of the evil men and women that were against him. And as you have promised, I will set up kings and I will take them down. I will put them in place for your appointed purposes. And Father, we trust in all of that tonight. We see it actually working out in our own lives. We, we saw it in our own country, didn't we, brethren? Amazing. And who knows the long-lasting effects of all of that. We saw it in Roe v. Wade being overturned. And we pray that it goes even farther. Amen. As Brother Dean prayed tonight, that it will be abolished completely. But amongst your judgment and in your judgment, we see some glorious victories. Because your sovereign hand is dictating that which comes to pass. And so, Father, tonight we rest in that. And we know that as we look at the book of Revelation, we, we understand that it is a book that is designed by you to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ, to reveal some things unto your people. And Although I understand there's some cloudiness to certain portions of it and some things because it hasn't happened yet. It's just like the prophets of old writing of the crucifixion, writing of the resurrection, writing of these things that hadn't happened, but yet they believe them to be true because you dictated them to them. And we're the same way tonight. We believe all of these things to be true because you have dictated them in your holy word. And Father, they will definitely pan out as you see fit. And Father, we again thank you for this evening that we can pray together and open your word together and hear your word together and pray for the other brethren and those around the world who are persecuted, and those who are ill and those who need prayer. And so we thank you for that privilege this evening to do that. Father, we do pray these things all in the name of our Lord and of our Savior. He who will indeed reign physically, on the earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. No doubt about it. It's in his name that we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.